pray together. Lord, we praise you that you have come to us. You did not leave us alone. You came to rescue us from our sin. And we praise you today that those of us who've received your grace are standing forgiven. We can live forgiven. We thank you for that. Lord, for everyone who's here that may be uncertain about that, for those who have not yet received your grace, Lord, I pray that today would be the day. It's why you've brought them here today, to bring life out of death, to bring hope out of despair, to bring purpose out of a life without purpose. Lord, speak to our hearts, I pray. As we open your word, teach us what it is to follow you every day. Help us, God, to measure what you measure and to consider how we can follow you to abide in your love and to live for you all the days of our lives. I pray that you'd speak through me. Lord, may we never be the same as a result of hearing you speak to us now. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You sound great today. Hey, go ahead and grab your Bible. You can turn to um, John 15 is where we're going to get. So it is fast approaching. The sanctuary looks beautiful today. The music is incredible. We had some Christmas music. And uh, I know that the choir and orchestra are getting ready. They're ready for next week. It's next Sunday at 4 which is why the big screen's up here for uh, some portion of the presentation. It is going to be an incredible time. You saw today you have opportunity to come at 5 over in the chapel. It's going to get you into the spirit, just worshiping the Lord. So, hey, full disclosure, I had a great uh, illustration to guide us into the message, to get us thinking about what I want to center on today in the message. I was going to challenge anybody or, or to think about the game, the football game we saw on Monday night. It was Kansas City Chiefs against the L.A. Rams. Anybody see this? Most points ever scored in an NFL football game. Then something happened last night. That was, I mean, now we know why those Aggies been practicing the midnight cheer for so long. Because they were cheering on their team. Last night, if you haven't heard this, seven overtimes. And Texas A&M beat LSU 74 to 72. Yeah, I thought I'd hear a little bit of that. Well, you know Baylor won yesterday too. Some there was there that I just thought, tossed that in there. But here's the thing. Uh, I mean 74 70, if if you had told LSU you're going to put up 72 points on A&M, they'll say, "We'll take it." We are going to crush them. And they lost by two points, right? Last time these two teams played each other in basketball, they didn't score that many points. <laughs> True story. Here's the point. At the end of the game, when, when the clock goes to zero, all you've got to do is look at the scoreboard. You know, it happens in football games. The, the final, you know, diss towards your opponent, he can be jawing, coming at you. All you got to do is just point at the scoreboard. If you're winning, just look at the scoreboard. That's all you got to do. Because that's all that matters. In sports, it's real clear, isn't it? Now, now in, in most sports, it's whoever has the most points. Now, Phil Mickelson had fewer strokes than Tiger did and won $9 million this past week. But in sports, it's real simple. Whoever puts up the most points 
wins the game. Now, in life, it's not as clear. I want to ask you one of the most important questions of life. How do you measure success in your life? What scorecard are you looking at? What's the scoreboard? Think about that for a moment. As as if we could answer that, just shout out answers, don't do that. But how do you measure success? Because a lot of people in Dallas today would say, well, look at my bank account, I'm winning. Look at my house, I'm successful. Or, Or look at my family, look at my marriage, look at my kids, I'm winning, I'm a success. How does God measure success? How would you answer that? What does success look like in the Christian life? What is it? And friends, again, this is a critical question because if you don't get this one right, you're going to spend your life, even as a Christian, you're going to spend your life wasting your life. I don't want to waste my life. I want to get this answer right, and I praise God He has shown us Jesus has taught us what the answer is. As I was preparing this message this week, I began to to think, God started to speak into my heart, this may be the most important message I have preached all year long. And I praise God that you're here. If you're a guest, you are not here by accident today. If you're here kind of hanging over after Thanksgiving and you came with a family member because that's what they do, they come here, praise God, you're going to hear a message that can change your life today. And so I want us to consider how we measure success. We've been talking about that throughout this month. As Rodney noted, we have been looking at our mission. That is what we do. It answers the question, what are we doing here? Our values. Why do we do what we do? We talked about our strategy, our discipleship pathway. How do we accomplish our mission as we worship and connect and serve and multiply? Today we're going to look at Really, the measures, how do we know? When are we successful is the question. We've said that we are a church that exists to make disciples. Uh, It's possible to go to church to, I suppose, many churches around the world and hear great music, maybe some preaching, see friends, and not make disciples. And the church that Jesus envisioned is one that makes disciples. That's a biblically functioning community. If we're not doing that, we're not the church that he has established. A disciple is one who's an apprentice. We're going to look at that today. What is a disciple and what does a disciple do? And, and so we're going to really get to the heart of what Christ calls us to be. When he said in Luke 9, 23, you can see it there, he said to them all, he says to us, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. A disciple is one, listen, who responds to his love for us what he's done on the cross, and we respond to all that he's done with a life of worship. We're going to look at the end game of our mission. We exist to make disciples by rescuing one another from a very pervasive and popular cultural Christianity in order to follow Jesus every day. We're going to look at the end game of our mission, how to follow Jesus every day. But we have a problem. We have a problem. We have changed the scorecard. 
And I just want to challenge each of us. I know I'm prone to go this way. Many of us have, have been brought up maybe to believe that Christianity really is kind of a religion that bears the name of Christ. We talk about this often. It's been described, the gospel has been described as a moralistic therapeutic deism. Is what most people, given research and surveys done, most people believe that Christianity is this. God created the world. There's one God. He's loving. He created everything that is. He created me. He wants all people to be nice and fair and kind to one another, just as the Bible teaches us to be, and, parenthetically, most religions in the world. Uh, the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. And the Bible can help you. God will love you, and you'll feel good about who you are. And then fourthly, that, that, that God does, does not really need to be involved in our lives particularly uh, unless we really need Him, and then He's there for us when we go through trouble and trial. And in the end, good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. For most people in America, I believe in the world, this is what Christianity is, a religion that bears the name of Christ. The good news has been reduced to good advice. And it's become kind of a moralistic, uh, kind of a behavior modification project. And I'm going to challenge us today to rethink what some of us, perhaps all of us, are prone to think about Christianity. Because most of us would say, surely God helps those who help themselves. The most quoted Bible verse that's not in the Bible. Benjamin Franklin is the one who offered that one for us. Grace is not divine assistance. It is divine rescue. We bring nothing to the table. God helps those who are helpless. He helps those who are hopeless. You see, here at Park Cities Baptist Church, we believe the gospel is not simply for non-Christians so that they can come to know the good news of Christ. It is that. But it is for Christians the gospel is for all of us who already believe it, it, it is staying in the truth of the gospel. What Christ has already done for us that is the Christian life. That is the great challenge. So many people in churches today have accepted Christ. I received Christ back then, and so I'm in. I'm done. I, I accepted Christ. I'm now a Christian. And we look back to that time when we accepted Jesus. Thank God for the gospel as if we can grow beyond the gospel. Friends, you don't grow beyond the gospel, you grow deeper in the gospel. The understanding of what Christ has already accomplished for you. I could say it this way, the gospel is not simply the diving board into the pool, it is the water in which we swim. The gospel is not simply the ABCs of Christianity, it's the A to Z of Christianity. The gospel, the good news of Christ, is what our lives are all about constantly transforming us as we grow to understand what he's done for us. And we're going to see that today. Years ago, I read Oswald Chambers' um, quote, I believe it's from uh, August the 4th. For many decades, I've read through uh, my utmost for his highest. Perhaps you've done the same. This one jumped out at me when I was a young man. And it, and it goes like this. Listen to this. The most important aspect of Christianity is not the work we do. 
but the relationship we maintain and the surrounding influence and qualities produced by that one relationship. That is all God has asked us to give our attention to. And it is the one thing that is continually under attack. Think about that. Have you discovered this to be true in your life? God's called us to one thing. I love that. One relationship. Intimacy with Him. That is the Christian life. And out of that one relationship comes all the qualities, the character, the words I speak, the actions of my life. Everything comes out of that one relationship. And how prone we are to move away. And if you don't remain in His love, Stay focused on that one relationship. Friend, there's only one option for you. The default mode of the human heart is works. It's the law. Trying to be good enough. And many Christians live joyless lives because that's how they live. And today I want to set you free. Because Jesus tells us exactly what the measure is what the scorecard is. And my hunch is, if you're like me, many of us here today are not living according to what Jesus says success looks like in the Christian life. This is the day that God is going to speak into your heart. And I'm believing we're going to be different because of his words today. John chapter 15. We're going to look at verses 1 through 17 as we learn how to follow Jesus every day. What does this look like? The marks of a disciple is what I'm going to call it. If you're taking notes, we're going to look at six of them that Jesus offers to us here. I suppose there's more, but I'm going to break it down to six in this passage. Now, John 15, you've been waiting on that passage there. To put it in context, John 13 through 17 is called the farewell discourse or the upper room discourse. Jesus is with his disciples and he is here speaking to them, preceding his now arrest, uh, the trial, and his crucifixion, and then resurrection. The first thing I want you to see here, Jesus tells us a mark of a disciple is a life that finds its source in Jesus. Look at this, chapter 15, verse 1. I am, this is the seventh of his I am statements through the book of John. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Now let me stop here for just a moment because there needs some explanation here. He's speaking now of those who are believers. He says, those who are in me, those who have already received my grace. The vine is a common symbol. This is, this is worth noting. It's a common symbol of Israel in the Old Testament. We see it in Psalm 80, Isaiah 5, Ezekiel 15, on and on. Several passages in Isaiah. And in each passage, Israel does not bear good fruit. And then judgment follows. Literally, they're cut off and cut down and chopped away at times throughout their history. God brings judgment because they're not producing good fruit. And now Jesus supplants Israel as the people of God. How about this? The person of God. And he comes not with judgment here, but with life. The vine brings life. There's no life apart from him. 
And so we see it here in this passage. He says uh, that for those of us who are in him, he says we're already clean. There's kind of a play on words here. That, that word could be pruned. It means to be stripped, to be cleared, to be clean. You've already been clean because of the word. Notice he says word, not words. The Word. And we know that the Word is the Gospel. It's all that He has done for us on the cross. That I have spoken to you the words He's spoken, but now what He's about to do. Who He is and what He's done. Abide in me, verse 4. And that word is meno, by the way. Critical to understand. This word means to stay connected to. It means to remain, to stay in. How about this? To stay put. To be at home in to abide in to reside in me be at home in me and i in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine now we all know that a, a, a plant that's been cut off from the root is just thrown aside and it is die it's dead and dying right it's dying and it is dead neither can you unless you abide in me i am the vine you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now look at this, verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me. Now listen, he's talking about non-believers. Not abiding, in, they're not in him. He's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned, always a reference here of eternal punishment. So what we have here is Christ saying, the Christian life comes down to abiding in Him, being at home in Him. He is the source of life for the Christian. Instead, what we see often among those who claim to be believers is what you could call a Christless Christianity. It's doing the works we think Christians are to do without abiding in Him, without staying in the source. Let me ask you the good time to ask the question, are you abiding in Him? Now you may say, well, I'm not sure exactly what that looks like. Well, keep listening. He's going to tell us. Because a problem of, of, of Christless Christianity is pervasive, so pervasive it cuts across all conservative, liberal spectrums and all denominations. Christians who claim to follow Jesus, but they're not connected to the vine. And again, it might be that they received Christ back when, but they're not walking with Him. They've not fully understood the gospel that motivates us to follow after Him. It's Christians without Christ. Psalm 1, you may know, brings this metaphor. It says that it's a tree, a good life, a righteous life is one planted by the streams of living water. The roots run down and the water is, is the source drawing into the branches and it brings life. But if it's not, it just says the wicked are cut off and like chaff they're thrown off and blown away by the wind. But as long as we remain in Christ as the source of our lives, we're alive in Him. Are you alive in Him? Is He the source of your life? Or are you prone to run to many good things, but not the best thing? Secondly, look at this. It's a life marked by effective and fruitful prayer. Look at verse 7 and 8. If you abide in me. 
and my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Now, initial reading here sounds like some kind of prosperity, name it, claim it gospel. Just whatever you wish, you ask him. And some want to interpret that way. They want to interpret as if God is some cosmic vending machine in the sky. If I pull the right lever, he's going to do what I want him to do. A lot of us live our lives that way, if we're honest. Lord, I've been faithful. Why am I going through so? I've been, I, I've been good. I've even been giving, and now I'm going through financial struggle. Lord, I thought that you would come through for me as if we can control him somehow. That's not, of course, what Jesus is saying here. He's saying if you're in him, if you abide in him, if you abide in his love, if you stay in him and remember the gospel, his great love for you, if you abide in him, then you're going to know his intentions, you're going to know his heart. As you're in his word, you're going to know what he's thinking, what he desires for you. And listen, when you pray according to his will, revealed in his word, by his spirit, you pray and he answers your prayer, listen, 100% of the time. As we pray according to his will. This is why you could say prayer is not as much, you know, our asking God to change. He does not change for us. The Bible says that he, 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 he instead reveals his will to us. Prayer perhaps is, is more us being changed by him as we position ourselves before him. Now he does respond to our prayers in ways that are mysterious and glorious, which is why I've been calling our church to prayer. And it's why we're going to continue to pray every Sunday morning at 8.30 in the fellowship hall. We're going to continue to ask God to move and do what we cannot do on our own. With all of our efforts, all of our money, and all of our hard work, God alone changes and transforms the human heart. He alone brings, brings, brings animation and power to our gatherings in worship. We don't manufacture that. We don't push certain buttons. Instead, he responds in prayer. And he says, through that, he is glorified, and we prove that we belong to him. When we pray and we seek him. You see, the hard work of Christianity is not work harder, get better to appease God and gain his approval. The hard work of Christianity, listen to me, is to remain in his love, staying in the truth of what he's already accomplished for you. This is what he's talking about. Prayer puts you there. Prayer puts you in front of him. Prayer puts me in position to remember who I am and who he is. I'm in him. Prayer right-sizes me before an almighty God who has rescued me from my sin. And I'm desperate for him to move in my life. See, here's the thing. We talk about cultural Christianity. Cultural Christians don't pray because they're living out of their own power, believing that it is a set of good works that somehow will appease God and make me a good person. Instead, the believer, the one in Christ, understands that it is through prayer. Christianity without Christ is no Christianity at all. And yet we see it so prevalent. And I want to ask you are, you, are you living that way? Do you pray? If not, the Spirit of God should be convicting you today. It's as if we seek a kingdom without a king. Progress without presence. 
We, see, we seek his, his presence, you see, is, is the input, it's the fuel, it's the food that you need in your life. Apart from it, you can do nothing, he will tell us, of eternal significance. No wonder you're anxious. No wonder you're worried. You think that it's all about what you must do. Remain in him. Remain in his love. He is the vine. He is the source of life. Is he for you? Look at number three, a life marked by obedience, motivated by his love. Look at verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, it's sheer discipline that's keeping me from wanting to preach an entire message on every verse. Think about that. Look at that. The same divine, eternal, holy, perfect, undying love God has for His Son, He has for you and for me. That's how He loves you. It is a perfect love. He says, now look at this. Here it is. Abide in that love. Abide in that love. You see how the abiding is remaining in that love? Again, it's not working harder trying to appease God, it's believing more deeply what He's already accomplished for you. Stay in that truth. Stay in that love. Remain in me. Remain in my love. And then look at verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Now, it's almost, it seems like, wait, wait, now he switched. Hold on, wait, now he's saying we've got we to obey commands in order to stay there. See, now he's saying, the more you obey, the more you're drawn to who I am and how much I love you. See, every act of grace, every gift you bring reminds you that all of life is grace. I saw our our, our church family on the move Thursday morning. It was incredible. We were serving here in the Great Hall, families together. I mean, it's the most joyous time we have because we're serving others, and we know it, and we sense the presence of God among us to serve those in the Vickery area. I went down to Cornerstone where our people putting together meals to go out and send out and then go and give meals to people who would otherwise not have Thanksgiving dinner. All in the name of Jesus. As we obey Him, we're reminded all of life is grace. Everything I have is grace. As we obey Him, we remain in Him. And He says, just as He did so, we now do so. And, and, And I love this. Look, if we keep His commandments, we'll continue to abide in Him. These things I have spoken to you, this is verse 11, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. A life Filled with Christ, abiding in Him is a life of great joy. This is why Christians live the most joyous life of anyone on the planet. Because we know who we are. We never question that we're loved. God loves us, and out of that we live with great joy. If He is for us, who can be against us? If God loves me today with this undying love, I can love everyone around me, starting with my wife, my family, my friends. How about people that don't like me at all? I can still love them. Because all the love I need, I already have in Him. What a joy-filled way to live. Forgiving and loving others. You're set free. That's why we should be the most joyous place on the planet. But look at this. I want you to be clear. 
what are we remaining in? What are we, what are we abiding in? What is this? Look at this. Remain in His love. And it's His love that motivates us to obey. See, friends, listen. Here's the thing. A lot of Christians who don't, don't remain in Him, what we do is we, well, I've got to do this. I better pray more. I know I've fallen into this. Uh, good. I'm, I'm feeling good about my walk with Christ. I'm doing good things. I'm going to church. I'm, I'm praying enough. I'm having my quiet time. I'm feeling good. I feel pretty good about how this is going until it's not going so well anymore. As if there's some kind of scales. If, if I could work hard enough, I feel really good. And, and, because the default mode of the human heart is the law. And we've cheapened the law to believe that we can bring something to the table in regard to our salvation or in regard to being in right position before God. He says, no, 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 remain in my love. That's all you've got. It's one-way love. Remain in my love, is what he says. So the thing that we're remaining in is not a list of behaviors that we need to adopt. Instead, it's a, a desire to stay in the love that we now have received in Christ. You see where the gospel is not simply a diving board? It is life. Because out of it brings God-honoring animation to our, obedient, our obedience. You see, here's the, here, I'd say it this way. If you don't get to the desire level, your good works are not going to last. The gospel gets you to the heart of the matter. I obey him because he first loved me. That's why I obey him. Not to appease him, not to gain his approval. And if you don't get to the level of desire, then you will continue to fight this religion that many call Christianity. Look at number four. A life marked by self-sacrificing love. Look at verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. There's another sermon. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. He's commanding us first to remain in Him, to remain in His love. Again, I saw this on the move. Our church, friends, if you're a guest, our church is so generous. We want to bless others because we've been blessed so much. We live with this overflowing generosity because that's how God has loved us in Christ. And you know that in 1 John 3.16 it says this, By this we know love. Here's how we know what love is. That He laid down His life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Christ has done this. And this is the symbol of salvation. It's the, sim or, or the, the symbol even of baptism, I should say. The, the application for some of you here today, here it is. You need to be baptized. Because in so doing, you're saying, I am dying to myself. Just as Jesus died to himself, I'm now totally forgiven. I'm raised up to live a life. Not for myself anymore, but for him. That is the proclamation that we make. And we join Paul who said in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. This is what a self-sacrificing life looks like. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, in this body, by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Have you responded to his grace? Have you, have you decided that you're not going to live for yourself anymore? But you're going to live for Him. Look at number five. It's a life marked by loving friendship with Christ. This is verse 15. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. 
But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. So now we're no longer master and slaves. It's not boss, uh, employer and employee. It's now we're friends with him. We've become friends because of Christ. What does this abiding look like? It looks a lot like friendship. What do you do with friends? You go to lunch with them. You spend time with them. You want to be with them. You call them up. You want to talk to them. You learn their intentions. You know their motives. You know their hearts. You can trust them. You know what they're about. See, he says, you all are my friends. Critical. Friends, listen. Critical to this abiding in Christ is to do it together. In the church, we encourage one another to abide in him. Because we see each other, how we love one another. Critical to this friendship is a deep commitment to the local church. Here's another application point. If you're not a member of the church, stop dating the church and join the fellowship, the bride of Christ, today. If you, you came and said, wow, I just thought I'd come hear a sermon. He's, he's, he's telling me what I need to know. Is the Spirit of God speaking to you today to respond how are you going to respond to him? And finally, look at number six. A life marked by the ongoing mission of Jesus. This passage is loaded. Look at verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So look at this. As we bear fruit, it continues to abide to the vine. It continues to grow, continues to bear more fruit so that Whatever you ask, the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Verse 17, some have noted this should go with the next paragraph. But these things I command you so that you will love one another. Now look at this. It's a life that's marked by a loving friendship with God. And as we walk with him, abide in him, then we have this ongoing mission with Jesus. We've said it. We are a church that exists to fulfill the great commission, the great with co with mission with Jesus as we abide in him then we bear much fruit which is the purpose of our lives now much has been said about this fruit it's it's a new way to live it's new believers it's it's new character that's built up in me it's the fruit of the spirit it's all of those things in a word it is the produce the result of my abiding in him staying connected to the vine to his great love for me. It's a persevering dependence on the vine, driven by faith. This is what we're here to do here at Park City Baptist Church. Friends, listen, we have an agenda, and it's very clear. We're here to make disciples. Our goal, our mission, is Jesus' mission. And so one of the ways that we talk about this abiding, and here's how we laid it out simply. If you're in connect groups, we talk about this often, following Jesus every day. Three key questions. This will help you this week. What is God saying to me? Even in sermons, this is what we do. How will I obey? Because that's when the power of God is unleashed in my life. Not simply knowledge. And then whom will I tell? Because out of the heart, the mouth will speak. Jesus said, whatever you love is what you talk about. It might be why some Aggies were talking more about football than about Jesus this morning. Maybe. 
It may be that we, we, we run after good things. But listen, here's a, here, this is a key point. Being a disciple is a skill set. It's not a body of knowledge. Now, there's some things you need to know. There's good news that you need to know. But the skill set is to hear from God, obey Him, and tell others. That is what a disciple does. And in so doing, we bear much fruit. And as we do it over, over the long haul, it's what Eugene Peterson called a long obedience in the same direction. That's the life of a disciple. In a word, it's obedience. It's faithfulness. Remaining in Him. So we join John the Baptist, and his prayer would become ours. He must increase, but I must decrease. This is the life of the disciple. And if you live long enough, like me, the sanctification process of life is God stripping away one idol at a time. And by the way, this pruning can be painful. And most often, it is the really good things in our lives that we've made best things. All for your good. He loves you. And he wants you to know the scorecard. And, and, and all you need to do, friends, is this. Just look at him. He's already put up all the numbers you need. He's exchanged his perfect scorecard for yours. In fact, the Bible says in 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when, when he appears, we shall see him. We are be like him because we, we shall see him as he is. How about this? When we see him, I can't explain it. When we see Christ face to face, where all of history is heading, by the way, we see Christ face to face, will be transformed, become just like him. If you've received his grace, if you abide in him, if you're one of his. But listen, we can do it now. That's why I often say, stop trying to be like him. Just look at him. Look at his love for you. Stay in him. Focus on his grace. Colossians 3, 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also, you also will appear with him in glory. Christ is your life. He's the ultimate scorecard. Just look at him. Do you know him? Remain in him. Let's pray together. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Perhaps the most important moment of the morning now. What is God saying to you? And what will you do? Tell him now, what are you going to do? How will you remain in him this week? Determined to be in his word. Determined to pray. Be accountable with others. Join the fellowship of the church. Be baptized to proclaim that you are his. Tell someone about the grace of Jesus. Lord, we give you our lives. You have done all that's necessary. May you find us. May you find me, Lord. Here am I. I am yours. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
We're going to close our time with a song together just to proclaim what we believe in our hearts. Just to say, Lord, here am I. I am yours. I will walk with you. And if you uh, today feel God prompting you, you want to pray with someone or you want to join the fellowship of our church, maybe you want to come and say, I want to be baptized. If you have questions, you can come find me out in the, in the chapel, Narthex there. I'll be out in the foyer and would love to meet you if you're a guest, love to meet you. But come and you'll find others of us there ready to greet you and welcome you after the service. But now, let's all stand together. Would you do that? Let's all stand and proclaim together. Can you say it? Can you sing it? Wherever he leads, I'll go. Let's sing together.